Hey, this is Jim, pastor of Decided Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope the sermon you're about to hear just blesses your heart and really encourages you. If you don't mind, subscribe. That way you'll get instant notifications every time a sermon is uploaded. And by all means, if you're feeling led to give, click on the giving link and there'll be more directions to follow. God bless. Enjoy the message. All right. Am I on? I guess maybe. Yeah, I'm on. Okay. How'd you guys like that? Wasn't that nice? That will give you a little bit of information of what I'm going to talk about today. If you guys weren't here for last week, uh, Jim put the first download. Really, the first week was vision casting. Last week, he covered the topic of our very first. If you saw underneath, founded, we have the three phrases, dig deep, build up, and stand firm. Last week, Jim covered dig deep. If you weren't here, make sure to go back either uh, either on our Facebook page or if you go to any place that has podcasts, you can find Decided Church and listen to it there. Very, very important uh, for you to understand as we continue to go forward because it is the foundation by which we build the rest of this. So while Jim talked last week about us being deeper diggers, this week we'll be talking about being better builders. So we went from last week when Jim talked about being deeper diggers. I kept messing that up when I was practicing. Um, to, to better builders. So today I'm going to talk to you about being a better builder. We're looking at the build up section, if you will, within our theme. And if you have your Bibles with you, we're pulling this straight out of Scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to be covering verses 10 through 15. Um, but in the beginning, I wanted to introduce talking about um, something uh, if there's one thing you've noticed about our church, uh, you have, maybe it's your first time, maybe you've been here a long time, is that there are a lot of babies. There are so many babies at our church. And one of the things, and really just everybody in my life right now, I'm at that age, I'm, I'm 30. I know I look good for 30, but I, I'm 30. And so everybody's having babies, and I see all the photos on social media. I almost get tired. I almost like, purposely don't like them because there are just so many. It's the first thing that pops up on my social media feed. I'm like, yeah, another baby. Well, the thing is, is like, you know, everybody's just like, oh my goodness, babies, they're so cute. And they got the cheeks and they're just, oh, they're so, and if I'm going to be honest with a lot of you, sometimes babies aren't that pretty. You ever seen an ugly baby? You're like, oh, look at your, oh, baby. It's a baby. What is that? Honey, did you see that baby? Look like an alien. But anyway, the reason I bring that up is because not uh, not all babies are beautiful. Not all babies are beautiful. And the reason I bring that up is because this specific passage is talking about that. The Apostle Paul, just to give you a little bit of background information before we dig into this text, I want to set the scene a little bit of what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. When he addresses the Corinthian church, he's talking to a group of people who allowed the patterns of their city become the sins of their church. And so that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today, how the patterns of our society have become the sins within our church. We're going to be attacking that a little bit. But what what happens in the Corinthian church is that there are people who are enslaved to a physical appetite. They're enslaved to a physical appetite. Paul says, listen, I wanted to give you meat, but you you can barely take milk. You, you, you're spiritual infants, yet you've known Christ for so long, yet you still have not grown in him. And he says that that actually shows itself out in the way they're dealing with leadership. 
See, those who are enslaved to a physical appetite also elevate church leadership. And if there's anything that you've seen in our Christian, celebrity Christian culture, is that exactly it. We elevate pastors Matt Chandler and Stephen Furtick and Perry Noble. We put them on a pedestal they're never meant to belong to. And so what happens is this spiritual immaturity, it it irks and it, it just really irritates the Spirit of God through Paul. And so he's writing the Corinthian church and he's talking about their immaturity. He's talking about, hey, why are you guys talking about I follow Paulus or I follow Paul, or I follow Cephas, don't you know that we're all co-workers in God's field? One plants, one waters, but God makes it grow. And then he goes into this illustration next, found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. He gives them another illustration. So if you guys would stand with me here, we're going to read the word of God together. Then I'm going to pray, and you can sit for the rest of the time. All right. Sorry, guys, I haven't preached in a while, so I'm going to get a little worked up today. Um, This is what the Word of God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, or some translations say skilled master builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one of you should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as escaping through the flames. Let's pray. Father in heaven, just ask that as we approach your word today, God, that we would do it in a spirit of humility, that we do it with a moldable heart. Father, we do it with listening ears. Father, would you take this message and just begin to reshape and remold our lives? We thank you for the foundation that you've set in Jesus Christ. And we ask that you help us be better builders as we continue to edify and encourage the church to step into her calling here in this dark world. We, together, y'all, are the light of the world. And we're so grateful for that deep calling. And I ask God that you'd help us step into it more and more this year, more than ever, as we continue and founded. We thank you for this vision. We thank you for this theme you've given us, God, and I pray that it would permeate our hearts and soul, that we might be warriors for your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. This is one of my favorite passages in scripture. Um, It is, I believe, that this specific scripture may be the most direct statement of the eternal value of earthly work in all of scripture. The work we do here on earth, to the extent we do it according to the ways of Christ, actually survives into eternity. That's what the scripture tells us. So what I just want to do is I want us to take time to go verse by verse through these five verses. And I just want to point out some truths. I want to talk about some things um, that I feel the Lord is impressing on our church to kind of attack, if you will, 
to kind of uh, instigate, to kind of begin as we move forward into 2021. So let's start off in verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I'll stop there. By the grace God has given me, just the very first, what is that, seven words? By the grace God has given me. This specific phrase is actually used by the Apostle Paul 25 times, almost word for word, through all of the apostolic letters that he wrote to the churches. And when the Lord repeats something time and time again, it's something that we should pay attention to. And I think the phrase is used best in its best understanding, if you will, in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, which will be up on the screen. And this is what the Apostle Paul, is spe- he's speaking to the Roman church and talking to them about something specific. He says, we all have different gifts. And here's the phrase, according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. What I love about this statement of by the grace of God that has been given to me, it makes grace something tangible, something quantifiable, if you will. He's speaking specifically here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 about his gifting that God has given him. He's saying, hey, listen, this this thing that I'm about to talk about here is a gift given to me by God, by his grace. You ever ever meet those people who have the gift? Like, I don't know what it is, uh, whether it's talking on stage. A lot of people are like, Will, how do you do that? How do you do it? Or you just see somebody do something and you're like, man, how do you do that? And they're just, they kind of just brush it off. What do you mean? How do I do it? It's just, I do it. It's that, it's that sense of gifting. And so Paul says in this passage, if we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verses 10, he, he's talking about the gifting of God that he's given him by grace. And this is what he says. He says, I laid a foundation as a wise builder or a skilled master builder. Um, this is the gift Paul is speaking of when he says, by the grace God has given me, God has given me this gift to be a skilled master builder. Now, what's cool about this Greek word is the word, it's the word architecton. You guys hear where that comes from? Architect. Archi, meaning to be the first or who commands, and then tecton, which means the mason or the builder. So the one who gives commands to the builder. So what Paul is saying in this specific text is, hey, listen, I'm not actually the one building. I'm just the one giving commands to those who are building. And I don't know if you guys know this about me, which is pretty cool, but before I was really serious about my faith and I went to college, where I ended up dropping out because I did way too many drugs, I actually wanted to become an architect. Did anybody know that about me? Fun fact for Will, I wanted to be an architect. I don't know why. I just thought it'd be fun designing things all day. But the thing I learned in my short time within the architecture school is that they do a lot more than it looks. You know, we think that they just design structures, and sure, yes, they do, but they also do a ton of other things. They help with site selection. They 
check out the environmental impact. They talk about zoning laws. They talk about building codes. Uh, they estimate build costs. They, they gather the materials that are needed. They, they, they even have to give a projected completion time for the project. They even have to make sure that the building is accessible for the disabled. I mean, there's so many things the architect is actually doing when we just think he's just drawing a building. Uh, and so what's cool is, as Paul is saying, when it comes to the church, that's his role. He is an architecton. He's, he's not actually the one building. He's the one commanding those who are building. He's given a specific task. And, and um, what's even cool is, while this word is only used once in the Bible, it is actually found in many other ancient texts that are written in ancient Greek. You can find it written in Plato, but it refers specifically to someone who only contributes knowledge, not manual labor. Instead, he assigns specific tasks to the workmen. And so when Paul is talking big picture here, he's not even talking about him building up. And if, if there's anything that I kind of want to, to talk about or to relate to the situation here at Decided Church is that when it comes to Jim and I, we take on more of a role of the architect. Jim and I are the architects of Decided Church, if you will. Our job specifically is to bring you back to the blueprint. Every single Sunday, Jim and I, when we preach, we're just bringing you back to the blueprint. But as a matter of fact, if you ask me, Jim and I aren't actually building the church. We are assigning tasks to each and every one of you to build the church. You're doing the building. We have a more passive role. Those who can't do teach. So that's why I'm up here because I can't do. But here's the thing. We are in some way just masters of the blueprint. That you might be equipped for the ministry of work. That's what Ephesians chapter 4 says. That's the role of the pastor, if you will, to equip the saints for every good work. And what I love next is he says this. He says, I, um, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. This church here, if you're going to stick around, if you're going to be here, you got to know this. This church is built on Christ. It's not built on great preaching. It's not built on an awesome worship set list. It's not built on strong community. It's not built on specific doctoral nuances. It's not built on effective programs. It's not even built on the confession of Christ. It's built on Christ alone. That's what it's about. And, and when you look at it in the Greek here, that's, it, he's, what Paul is doing, he's actually attacking a teaching that's seeping within the first Corinthian church. See, what happens is Peter comes along and preaches to them, and so people start saying a specific thing. They start, they start taking out of context Matthew chapter 18, I believe, where, where God says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. A lot of people thought Peter was the rock, which is, by the way, the Catholic way of thinking. Peter was the rock by which God would build the church. And, and Paul is saying, no, 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 no. The church is built on Jesus. It's not built on Peter. It's not built on Apollos. It's not built on me. He's making a specific conjecture to a false teaching that began to cripple the church. The, and remember what I said. He is writing, Paul is writing 
this specific text because the patterns of the city, the patterns of society became the sins of the church. It's the whole reason for him to write this section of the letter. And I believe there's a lot of things that are happening in the Corinthian church. I think the church we have now in America has never been closer to the Corinthian church. Here are some things that we can see by what Paul says had crept its way into the Corinthian church that is in our church as well, in every church in America. First of all, it's outsourcing. Instead of us stepping into our calling by the grace, by the grace God has given me, by the gifts God has given me by his grace, right? That's what Paul says. What's happening is, is in this first Corinthians church, the Corinthian churches, God has gifted every Christian. And what Paul sees, instead of people living out their calling that Christ has put on them, they're instead outsourcing it. What I mean by that is this. Uh, when my car breaks down, anybody ever have car issues? I hate car issues. Cars are so stupid. Why do they make them so hard to deal with? Anyway, they could make it way easier if they wanted to. They just want you to hire out. They want to make it so difficult that you outsource the job. So instead of me fixing my own car, and it might be a $200 fix if I do it myself, I'd just rather throw money at it, pay $500, let someone else do it. I outsource my issue. And what happens within the Corinthian church, I believe, and also within the American churches, we outsource the issues that we're having as Christians. When a friend comes and talks to us about specific things that we don't know the answer to, whether it be, how could you believe in a God who is good if there's evil in the world? If, if, if instead of figuring out and wrestling and looking up the information for yourself, you just outsource this. Well, I, I have this good friend, Will. He knows all the answers. Let me outsource this problem with you. Or, or as a parent, when your kid has faith questions, when, you're, when your kid is asking you questions that you don't know the answer to, well, um, when it comes to salvation or when it comes to anything, what happens is when any doubt gets brought to us, instead of us, searching the word of God instead of us doing the work ourselves instead of us digging deep we outsource that's one thing I see within the Christian church that is that is wild and it shouldn't be that way also and I preach this all the time but I have a moment to preach it again so I'm gonna do it again consumerism consumerism is a pattern of this society that has become the sin of the church the Word of God has not called us to be consumers, but producers. And what happens is, is we come, we want to be entertained, and we want to leave. We don't want to change. We don't want to do what God has called us to do. And then, of course, a pattern of the society. This one might be a little more, um, a little something you might disagree with. A pattern of our society that has become a sin of the church. How about diversity? Diversity. Now, what I'm not saying is that diversity is bad. I believe it is a great thing. The fact that God has all made us differently. He has each fashioned us with different gift mixes. He's, he's put us together the way he has that we might accomplish a specific task. But what's happened is, is we've embraced diversity so much as a society and as a culture, it actually just actually has only become disunity. And if we know anything about the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we read anywhere in scripture, it's this constant 
beating of the drum of how we've been become one with Christ. We have been made one. We are to maintain the unity that Christ has given us. What we've done is we've embraced so much the diversity that the culture preaches that it's become disunity in the church. So those are just three things. I could continue. My list could go on, but I want to save them for later sermons because we have a whole sermon series this year about specific, about specific things, specific lies we buy into that, our cult, that, that has seeped in from our culture into the church. So I'll just stop there. We want to be people who are deeper diggers, but also better builders. Let's continue on to verses 12 and 13. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Now, what's really cool, before I get into the um, text, I want to give you guys a cool little background information. Paul is actually using a very real analogy from Corinthian history when he uses this specific statement. He's drawing to their mind a specific, a specific moment in history that happened in 146 B.C. About 200 years prior to Paul writing this letter, he, he's talking to them about the Battle of Corinth. The Battle of Corinth was a part of the Achaean War. This was when there was an uprising of Greek city-states against the Roman Republic, which was triggered by harsh Roman policies. And so what happens is there's this war between the Greek city-states of Corinth, the Achaean League, and the Roman Republic. And there's a gentleman by the name of Lucius Mumius, which would have been a very popular, everybody would have known this story. And I'll tell you why here in a second. Lucius Mumius was a Roman statesman in general who actually burned down Corinth. And the only buildings that were left from his burning were the ones built of those materials that he's listing in this list. So, and here's the thing, an analogy, that's just pretty cool within itself, right? But the analogy even goes, goes even deeper. Catch this. See, that war, the war of the Achaean War ended in Greece's independence being taken away and coming under Roman control. And it, what it did is it actually marked the beginning of the end for the Hellenistic period. And it became the beginning of the dominance of the Roman Empire. And so what Paul, it's, this is a double layer allegory, a double layer analogy saying, hey, just as you remember the Battle of Corinth, just as you remember how the only things that were left were the things built of precious stone, the things built of, of costly stones, things built of gold and silver, in the same way when our king, right? There's going to be a new president this week, but it's, there's still the same king. Now, when our king comes, the day of the Lord, which we talk about here, because the day will bring it to light. He's talking about the day of judgment, the day Christ returns. He's saying, just as the Hellenistic period ended, at the Achaean War, at the end of the Achaean War. So the rule of Satan and his minions will end when Christ comes. So this is a double allegory here. He's showing them that there's going to be a new, a new, it's going to be an ushering in a new reign, the kingdom of God. And he says this in verses 14 through 15. He says this, what 
If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through flames. Now, this specific test shows us that he's actually speaking directly to Christians. He's not speaking about mere professed Christians who had no faith in them at all or no real union with Jesus Christ. These were builders. These builders were on the foundation. They had dug deep. They were building on the foundation. There was a principle deep down in their lives which really lay at the bottom and yet had not come to such dominating power as to mold and purify and make harmonious within itself the life that was reared upon it. There was something within them that they had the understanding. See, a lot of people, especially if you look in Hebrews chapter 14, when it talks about milk and meat, a lot of people, uh, they, they say that the milk is actually an allergy of knowing what Christ did here on earth, knowing that he died for our sins, knowing uh, who he was. He was God in the flesh, God incarnate. Those are all milk things. Every, it's, and, and the meat things is what Christ is doing now in heaven, what he's going to bring, what he's ushering into being. That's kind of how they split it up. And you can find that, I believe, in Hebrews chapter 14, if you want to look for it yourself. And so these people understood the gospel, but they weren't digging into what God was doing here on earth. They weren't seeing the progress of redemption, if you will. God's continued work in the heavenlies, what he's doing in the here and now. I think um, the, the issue, there's two issues that I see. First off, I want to talk about vaccines. I triggered a lot of y'all. All of y'all, hey, there was a lot of y'all that weren't paying attention until I said that word. Y'all should have saw y'all's ears perk up. I want to talk about vaccines. Now, I don't want to get into the logistics. This is not a politically charged statement. I just want to talk about vaccines in general because there's a spiritual truth to them. Um, I'm not here to debate all the things that are in vaccines. There are some weird things like MCR5, which you need to look up. I'm not going to talk about it. I want to talk about it. I'm not going to. But here's the thing about vaccines. Does anybody know how a vaccine works? Vaccine. Let's just say we get the COVID vaccine. What happens is in that vaccine, there's just a little tiny bit of COVID. Just a little tiny bit. And what happens is we get the vaccine and it triggers our immune system to begin creating in your body the things which attack the COVID cells or the, co the bad COVID. And then your body is vaccinated, if you will. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Let's put everything else down. Here's the thing. I think a lot of us are spiritually we just a little bit of Jesus, just, not just enough to where I don't catch the whole thing, just enough where I don't catch the whole thing. Just enough. There's this quote by Wilbur Reese. I've said this before, I think two years ago, but it's such a good quote. And he says it like this. He wrote a poem and, he's, and it's called, but well, I don't know the name, but I'm just going to read it to you. I would like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love my enemies or care for the needy. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want the pound of the eternal in a paper sack. 
I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Here's the issue. We haven't, as a church, done a great job. I do think there has been a decent job of laying the foundation of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, some churches are built just on that. Of just continually preaching Jesus Christ. And that's good. But what happens is we never grow from that. And we never become better builders. Here's another thing. That's the first thing. I think we're spiritually vaccinated. We got just enough Jesus to not catch the whole thing. That hurts. Okay, here's the other thing. When we read in Scripture, I believe I have it up here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses, uh, what's not? Yeah, okay, Ephesians chapter 2, 19 and 20, and then I'll go to Isaiah 28, verse 16. So this is the Apostle Paul writing to the Ephesian church, and he uses a specific word in here that I want you to see. He says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, that is their teachings about Christ, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. The chief cornerstone. The cornerstone was a way to mark a building, to show what the building was about. If you ever see an old building that's been renovated, they usually have a cornerstone there to tell you when it was built the first time and what exactly it was. So that's kind of the idea of what a cornerstone is. Now let's look at it in Isaiah 28, verse 16. Same idea, same thought, same word used. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion. A tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. Okay, cornerstone. As a matter of fact, wait, before I get there, I forgot a point. Can I go back? When it comes to what we build with, the materials, think about what it says. It says this, and uh, the, the, the precious cornerstone is what reminded me of this, but it says those build with gold, silver, and precious stones, and then those who build with wood, straw, hay. Now, here's the thing. If you notice anything different about these, these things, wood, straw, and hay aren't very hard to find. You don't have to go anywhere to find. You can go in your backyard and find wood, straw, and hay. But where do you go? Where do you go to find gold, silver, and precious stones? You got to dig deep. You, so I'm not saying that digging deep is not something we can't continually do, because I think we do have to continue to dig deep. But here's, and, and I, I just wanted to put that out there. So there's that. That was supposed to go earlier. Take that away. Now let's talk about the cornerstone, okay? <laughs> anyway, cornerstone. Here's, here's the other issue. So not only do I think we're spiritually vaccinated, I believe we have put Christ not as cornerstone, but as capstone. Capstone. Now, for those of you who don't know what capstone is, I'm glad you asked, because, well, I took architecture, and I know what it is. So... Hey, this is like a $30,000 sermon right here of debt that never accrued to anything. That's where I got all this information. You're welcome. Okay, so here's the thing. We as a church have too long treated Christ as capstone instead of cornerstone. Let me give you an example from real life. This is what a capstone is. A capstone traditionally was a stone placed at the top of a pyramid or a building, both signifying its completion and as a protection for the walls below, as it mitigated erosion by causing rainwater to flow a certain way. 
Capstones were often considered the most important part of the building and elaborately decorated to signify the culmination of the achievement. Now, here's the thing. A lot of us use Christ as our capstone on our course. So what I mean by this, it's kind of like marriage, right? Back in the day, I don't know how long ago, but back in the day when two people came together, they were young and they would get married. And on that bedrock of marriage would be the cornerstone. And they would together build their lives up, right? Well, if you know anything about the millennials and the next generation, what's happening is they're actually waiting longer to get married. So what's happening is they're building, they're building up their own lives. Instead of having a we-dentity of togetherness, they have an identity, and so there causes a lot more friction. What happens is they wait till later. They wait till they're done with college. They wait till they get their career job. They wait until they do all these things, and then they get married like a capstone. Like, I have reached this specific place in my life, and now I can get married until, and then, so, and that doesn't mean they're not dating their, a girl. They're probably living with her. They're probably doing everything that married people do, but they don't actually get married because they treat it as a capstone. It's like, and it's the same way for us in Jesus. A lot of us are building our lives on something else. What happens is, is we build our lives on something else. Then something happens, whether it means getting knocked up, whether it means having kids, and then you're like, oh, shoot, I need to go to church. And then we, put, we, we instead put Christ as the capstone. Now, there is spiritual truth to that. Christ is the capstone, but because he's going to finish the work that he does in the last day. But what I'm talking about is for us specifically, when we build our lives, when we're when we want to build better, we have to take that which is the cornerstone and put it in the right place. Christ is not meant to be the capstone. It's not something we build up to. It's not a, it's not a phase in life. Well, I went through my high school phase. I went through my party phase. I went through my drug scene phase. And now I'm going to be a Christian. That's not how it's supposed to work. It's never meant to be worked that way. So when you come into a loving relationship with Jesus Christ, it means tearing down everything. And starting fresh, starting new, it means digging deep. It means pulling out within the word of God, the nuggets of truth, the precious stones, the gold and the silver that you might be founded and that you might build up in a way that lasts. That's what this scripture is telling us here today. So in closing, I just want to pray for us. I want to pray for us because I think for too long, this is exactly what's happened in our church. Things within our society, patterns of society have seeped into our church and become our sins. So I want to pray for us. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that each and every one of us can say this phrase, by the grace God has given me. You have given us each and every one of us gifts. And Father, I pray for all of us here that we would just repent of us outsourcing the things you have called us to do. So many people come to me, come to Jim with great ideas that we should do. Father, you have impressed it. You have given them the passion that they might do it. Help us be a church that no longer outsources our walk with God. Father, I also want to pray for those who have bought in on the consumerism that is in this world and let it come into our church. There is not room for celebrity Christianity here in decided church. There's not room for what can I get from the church. Father, we want to be producers. 
We want to be people who give back. It's kind of like JFK. It's not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. It's the same way, but with the church. Help us, Father, fight the sin of consumerism that is seeping in. I also want to pray, Father, for those of us who have embraced diversity to the point of where it's become disunity. We have so elevated what makes us different that we have forgotten what makes us alike. And so, God, I just ask that in our hearts today, you would begin to help us maintain the unity you have already given us in Christ. And God, I just want to pray for those of us here in this room that have been spiritually vaccinated for too long. We've had just enough of Jesus to not catch the whole thing. We don't want Wilbur Reese's poem to be about our lives. And Father, I also pray for those here in this church who have mistakenly taken that which was the cornerstone and made it the capstone. God, I ask that you would help us continue just to build our lives, to, to, to throw all things out. Literally, Paul says, I count all other things rubbish. I count them all dirty diapers. I count it all trash. I count it all dung. But you and you alone. And so, Father, I pray that you help us rightfully take that which we've accidentally put as the capstone and put it as our cornerstone, the thing which we build our lives upon. We're so grateful for that truth in your word today. Help us be people who dig deep from your word and grab out from there the precious stones, the gold and the silver that lies in wait for us to find. And that we might build a lasting, that we might be better builders that will last on the day of judgment. We're grateful that our earthly work here has eternal value. And we ask that you would help us be intentional with that as we go forward in 2021. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.